Hello, this is Pablo Sabaleta. This is Troy Dene. This is Kevin Phillips. This is Jürgen Klopp and you're listening to the big interview with Graham Hunter. Thank you, Jürgen. I travelled to all these interviews from Barcelona and our socios, our beloved members, keep us on the road. This independent podcast would not happen without them. Please go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter right now to become a socio, to become one of our members and get an extra big interview every month, plus loads of bonus content. So go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Graham Hunter, and we'll bring you joy. Hi, I'm Neil White from Backpage, and you're listening to The Big Interview with Graham Hunter, and this is part two of our monthly Q&A show. For February, we're focusing on El Clasico, as Real Madrid and Barcelona face off twice in quick succession at the Bernabeu, starting tomorrow. These questions come from our socios, who support the podcast at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter, and also from our sponsors, Bet365. Graham Hunter is on the line from Barcelona, and the first question for him is about a player who's rather coming into his own at the camp now. So says Nick Taylor, who writes, Been really impressed with Nelson Semedo recently. Does Valverde trust him enough to start him in both these games? Uh, Hola, Nick. Bon dia, as uh, the Portuguese would say. I see no ships in his path. Nelson Semedo has been a really interesting, exciting um, piece of my last few months. Because when he arrived, all I'd seen was highlight reels. And there was, uh, while he was playing, um, my memory tells me, Benfica, there was something of the Danny Alves about him. And I say that in that he is, he's adventurous. He has really good close control skills. He has the ability to do something anarchic high up the pitch and to link with other players. And and maybe the thing that when I started that sentence, I didn't have clear in my head, but it's, it's crystallised as I've been speaking. He, he certainly seemed to take an enormous enjoyment in his football. That It's not a cliche, but it got used a lot about Ronaldinho. And I thought, mm, that's a strange phrase, but I began to understand it. The more you watch football, the more that football changes... That idea about playing football with a smile on your face, the, the enjoyment, the, the sense of alegría in Spanish, and the degree at which you can spread enjoyment, that it's not just about stats or Y-scout or heat zones and all that kind of stuff, you know, the stuff that makes little patterns, yellow patterns in the snow. You forget that some of what football's about is to, is to give the people who buy a subscription on television or turn up and buy their ticket or season tickets joy to, to give him something uplifting hairs in the back of the neck and it looked to me that Benfica Semedo possessed that as well as pace and that you know he's still only blooming 25 so when he arrived he must have probably been 24 and the first season I found really disappointing I, I've got no qualms about saying that he looked uh, timid and a little bit overawed not simply by playing in the presence of greats but by two things, a supposition that he he was no longer able to do the things that had made him stand out at Benfica. And secondly, because of the tactical things that uh, an advanced 
right or left back at Football Club Barcelona has to understand the judgment about when you cut loose is not the same. And no disrespect to Benfica, who've been in at least two, maybe three Europa League finals in the last six or seven years, who are breathing down Porto's net right now. When I was last in Porto to, to interview Ica Casillas two weeks ago, three weeks ago maybe, there was, a, there was a Lisbon derby between Sporting and Benfica whereby if Sporting had taken a point, Porto could go five or six points clear. And last time I looked, it was a point difference. Benfica are, you know, a senior club. I think Portugal's only, you know, one of two European Cup winners. And therefore, I'm not denigrating them when saying that the, the, the challenges tactically in terms of judgment and maturity placed on Nelson Semedo because of the playing system at Barcelona, what players around him do, and therefore what they rely on him to be able to do in his brain... That in first season um, really, to me, seemed too much for this kid. Almost from the beginning of the season onwards, his judgment, his maturity, his ferocity in competition without the ball or competition with the ball when he's trying to make sure that a dribble comes off or that to 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 get past somebody he may used to may need to use his physique a little bit more let, let, let me crystallize what i'm saying the low point came away at roma when with one goal needing to be scored to put roma through but with Barcelona still at that stage going through at 2-0 down, he kind of ducked out of a challenge and ducked responsibility in a challenge which led to the winning goal scored by I blooming forget whom. But that was Semedo's. Principally, it was his fault. At that moment, you think, at least in my view, Nick, at that moment, you you, you see the watershed. Players will shrivel up and and not be good enough or not have the temperament. Watershed, in terms of certain coaches, will say, that's it, son, you failed me. I, I That night, Luis Suarez looked daggers at him. And if he'd had daggers, I wouldn't have liked seeing the result in the, in the changing room. And it's been utterly different. And one of, that's why I started by saying that he has been thrilling to watch and that the maturity, the change in confidence, he's taken those slings and arrows of last season and gone, I'm good enough. I can learn. I can assume this responsibility. He is now without any question in my mind, both a better defender and a better attacker. Imperfect still, but at 25, with tons of time to develop, he causes them no problems in terms of professionalism or club discipline. He's liked and trusted by players around him. And he's ousted Sergio Roberto as being the first choice number one. I've, right now, at least, there's no question in my mind that he's, a, he's first choice number one. And therefore, if... Fit, let's start in the furthest away game. If fit, Semedo starts on Saturday afternoon, in my opinion. I think the likelihood, depending on, again, you know, we're recording this ahead of Barcelona having to play at the Nervion against Sevilla, um, who've just knocked Lazio out and who need to stay in touch for the fourth position. You know, depending on what happens to Semedo in that match, I'd have thought the more likely thing is that Sergio Roberto starts it right back in the cup. But if, in my view, if Valverde was utterly determined to play his best 11 twice, then Semedo would start twice. For these Q&As, we ask our sponsors at Bet365 to send in questions. And this one comes from Steve Freeth. Graham, your co-host on the Bet365 sofa. And Mr. Freeth says, As it stands, Barcelona are favourites to win the Copa del Rey second leg in normal time at the Bernabeu. 
Does this surprise you? Well, this is so tempting because uh, it, it, cohort is a word beginning with C, but I think of him using another word beginning with C, and that's champion. Because recently Steve and I were playing uh, darts, and uh, I think we're not allowed to. I'm going to lower my tone a little bit here because the first rule about flight club is that you're not allowed to talk about it, even though it's a darts pub in Manchester. And Steve was not only champion that day, he, he won killer, which I think starts with C as well, doesn't it? And, and killed me with a single dart in the treble bed of, I think, treble 16. So cohort is good for you, Neil. Champion is good for me. And I have to be careful with Steve because he's very wily. He is the one who, for last time we were filming with Bet365, suggested to derision from me and Sam Matterface, I'm bringing Sam into this, that Leon would knock Barcelona out of the Champions League. Now, the tie's in the balance at nil-nil. Leon certainly showed that, pretty much as expected by everybody who knows anything about them, that they are formidable. Otherwise, how could they have beaten Manchester City in the Champions League, beaten Paris Saint-Germain in Ligue 1? Ndombele, uh, the, the central midfielder, wow, just knocked my socks off. Denier was one of the best players on the pitch. Uh, Lopez was very good. There there are... Fakir is still to come back. There, there, there were... You know, there were interesting footballers right across the pitch for OL and, and Steve's prediction about Leon may come true. But it's been it's tighter than I thought it would be and, and Steve tends to know what he's asking about. And I mention all that because this really surprises me. I think he's talking about odds rather than his opinion. And, and therefore, Barcelona to win the semi-final second leg at the Bernabeu in normal time. Clearly, given what we talked about in podcast one on this subject... Their record tells you that they can do it. But do do I honestly see Barcelona as being favourites to knock Madrid out in 90 minutes in the cup second leg? No, that, that does surprise me. And if I was honest, and I tipped Steve that Aleti would probably uh, get a worse result at home to Juventus than they did last week... <laughs> So, uh, que se yo, as, as Messi says, w- w- what, what do I know? I, I, I have Real Madrid now that we've inched in on asking my, 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 my opinion. I think two, two things are important here. If any of you are going to punt or argue with your friends in the pub about it. One, sequences of matches where two teams play two or three times in close succession are for, as, as Danny Alves used to say, por los listos, the, for the smart ones. Differences in form... And differences in suspensions, injuries, these kind of things that can dictate. I think they they, they gradually reduce and go out the window the more times two teams play each other. Now, this isn't a three-game sequence like you get when it's uh, two cup ties and a league tie sandwiched like Athletic and Sevilla had already this season. But in those circumstances, almost no matter who wins the first game, the really smart coaches, the really smart uh, scouts and analytics guys, and the really smart players understand how to pick off the rival, irrespective if they've been defeated in the first game. So there may be things that, that you know, it, because there's almost a three-game sequence here in that it was, I don't know how many weeks ago, let's call it, can we call it, two, can we just say it was two weeks ago, or was it three weeks ago? So the, the, the first game in the sequence was 1-1, plagued by substitutions, Players who don't normally start um, two completely different halves of football with Barcelona outplayed in the first and outplaying Real Madrid in the second. I think that we're going to see across the the, the the latter two parts of this triptych the smart people winning through, 
And therefore, if Santi Solari says, I'm going to play my best 11 each time and, you know, damn the torpedoes, damn the consequences, then I think, for me, Madrid start favourites in the cup game. I think the cup matters slightly less to Football Club Barcelona, uh, given that they, they look, they're, they're perfectly poised to win the Liga and they need, they, they, they yearn to win the Champions League. And therefore, if Solari goes all in on Wednesday, I think his team should be favourites. I think that they are physically stronger, and I mean, I don't mean height and height and muscle. I mean that the stamina and the power and the acceleration that they are able to give games, which often Barcelona have negated by just outpassing them and outstrategizing them. I admit, in this instance, my view is that Barcelona are a little bit tired. That Antonio Pintus's work since mm, Solari took over has has completely re-energized Romadid. The pace and youth of Regulon, Vinicius, Jorente, if he gets a chance, Carvajal, the the complete re-energizing of the Ballon d'Or winner, Luka Modric. To to my mind, Steve Socios, I mean that if you look at the eleven and Romadid's eleven reads: Kaler, Carvajal, Ramos, Varane, Regulon, um. Modric, Casemiro or Llorente, Ceballos or Cruz, Benzema, Vinicius, then I think Madrid win. If um, Marcelo plays, then all bets are off. He's, he, right now, he's worth a goal start to the opposition just about every time he plays. And it's sad to say from somebody who's given us all so much entertainment and who's such a gorgeous footballer. But, I mean, you may as well be playing a grandma at left-back right now. Um... So depending on the 11s, you know, Steve's favourite for Barcelona to go through in 90 minutes. If if Madrid don't play absolute outright 11 and Barcelona suddenly surprise me by going flat out, then maybe. But no, right now I make uh, Madrid slight favourites to go through in the 90 minutes in the cup semi-final second leg. You touched in that answer on a subject that John Nuremberger, our friend from Kansas City, is back in with. Mm. You've, you've you've half you've half answered this already, okay? But I'd like to know why or what it is that you've seen coaches, smart ones, as Danny Alves said, uh, how they how these guys responded between say game one and game two of a series, or game two and game three. The, the, the first the first answer comes from something that I believe way beyond a big long discussion I hugely enjoyed with Gus Poyet recently when he was on the Viva La Liga show in Barcelona, and I got on with Gus, and we seem to share some concepts I did, you know but not by 10 million billion years do I put myself anywhere at his level but it, I, I like it when not getting a pat on the back in agreement but when a concept that you float can be chewed over with somebody you respect as a coach or a um, or assistant coach or, or a footballer and I th- one of my bugbears Neil is that it's hard for people outside the football world to understand how little time the people that are supposed to do well at football get in their lives. So, for anybody's a parent out there, mother or father, let's say you had five kids, all under five, and you're short of bucks, you're both, both parents are working, and one of the kids has got a snotty nose, and the other one's got measles, and the other one's fighting with a dog, and the other one's, you know, sat on a porcupine. Just imagine what your life is like. And, and in all honesty, that degree of... Tiredness, frustration, shortness of temper, attention span of about six seconds. That's what all senior football people should suffer from because they are, you know, they are listening to. 
their assistants, they're watching their players, they're trying to plan when they want to travel, when they don't want to travel, how they rehabilitate, when they rest, when they recuperate, not just rest. Then they've got to look at, you know, how much information do I want about the next opponent or the next opponent but one? I've got the president who wants to speak to me because he wants to speak about um, something I said in the press the other day. I want the press. The press has got what they think is going to be a 45-minute press conference with me tomorrow. The missus at home wanting to buy another leopard or a snow tiger or something like that on my 16 million euro a year salary. Coaches and footballers kind of fly on no sleep and getting vital gobbets of information into their head brutally quickly and then trying to transfer that into action. And when the smart ones, when they can gather information in real time in front of their own eyes, I mean it whether in a series of three games particularly, when you play Wednesday, Saturday, Tuesday, or, you know, whatever, you know, however you were, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday. Smart players and smart coaches, and particularly smart assistant coaches say, ah, look, I had a sniff of that when I was looking on Scout." I had a sniff of that from our own scouts' reports on this team, but I saw it last game when we won, drew, lost, and and now I'm going to drive a, a coach and horses through that, or this is what they don't like, or this is what we do like. They 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 do like, so we're going to stop them doing it. And it, you all now, and all of the socios, and John, and, and you, Neil, I and Steve, I don't, I don't have to go any further on that idea. It's about getting and processing hard information in real time that allows the people that can do that and, and draw winning consequences from it to apply that special knowledge, that special ability to the upcoming game or two games that are left. And that's why I think, and, and, and you don't know, because there are so many random factors, Solari's in his, as a coach, is in his second classical. Uh, Valverde has had, I lose count, I guess he had two last season and say, I don't know, is he in his fourth classical? I'm going to say it's his fourth classical. Fifth classical, pardon me. Two last season, one in La Liga, one in the Copa. Wednesday will be his fifth. It's not a, it's not like a, you know, it's not like 42 games of experience like Sergio Ramos. And therefore, to to know for sure which of the players, if Xavi and Iniesta were playing, you'd say, yeah, <laughs> they'll they'll be processing real time information about the the Madrid lineup, who's on form, and, and they'll be that that'll be played out on the on the pitch instantly. It'll be the same for Modric, but to know which of the coaching teams and which of the 11s will process the information from the one one draw in the semi final first leg, and from Wednesday, and then draw that into Saturday, that that's that's guesswork because each each fixture brings new people new levels of experience but that's what I think will be one of the determining factors and the level of like analysis that, that these guys must be able to bring now you know the the, the number of cameras that are provided yeah there's too much the number of eyeballs yeah. they've got on, yeah. on the game it must be absolutely phenomenal you have to be judicious you have to be really clear about what it is you want to know I, I, beyond that you have to be really clear about what you don't want to know alright alright you can do that you can show me that but I don't give a flying frog, you know, you can, you know, you can stick that up your jumper. Fascinating. Um, okay, let's take a quick break here. We're going to be back in a minute with more of your Classico Q&A. And we return with a question from Athan Sokolas. Athan asks, what is it about these games that even Rakitic always seems to shine? 
in my opinion, the first uh, building block for that answer is that he's a far, far better footballer than most people understand. In my opinion, it's become modish to talk about how good Luka Modric is compared to the first season. Well, I spoke to a Manchester United player once about Alex Ferguson's policy of, at the end of a season, incentivising his team, not just by saying, this isn't good enough, we'll do it again and do it better next season. He would often tell them what was coming in the transfer market. He would say to them, you know, we're going to sign X. Now, this United player told me that Fergie's announcement to the senior six or seven players that he counted on was, we're signing Luka Modric from Spurs. And the, 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 the old Trafford groups wasn't the cliff then, it was it was Carrington by then. The Carrington senior heads were like, mm, nah, mm, don't see it. And he, Modric received that reception um, in, if that's not tautological, when he, during his first year at Real Madrid, where the media were prone to calling him the worst Real Madrid signing ever, which is just unbelievable. And now it's modish to notice that his judgment, his the fluidity of play around him, his judgment of space, his ability to get away from players, his his calling of a pass, um, his wit, his his grittiness, all these things, I guess, have combined to people saying, "Well, oh, what a great player Modric is." Well, Rak- I think Rakitic has has all of those, and I think that it's taken an awful long time for uh, people to to appreciate that. And aside from his his absolutely astounding tackling ability, his astounding athleticism, getting up and down the pitch, it, it is the case that very often, because Busquets needs protecting, Rakitic is actually asked to play, particularly in big games, a role which makes his ability to set up goals and to score and to... He's got the wit and the intelligence and the vision to link with Messi in a way that Alba does. But because he's got different duties, which is kind of like bodyguard to to Sergio Busquets, he's not as often allowed to do that. But for example, it's Rakitic's wit in the Christmas classical last season, which completely unpicks both um, Luka Modric and the returning Kovacic. And... He's obviously, across his classical times, scored blindingly good goals, often from distance. And I think that it's a combination of that, and I think people also underestimate because he's, he's you know, whenever you see him, if you if you don't know him very well, whenever you see him speaking, he'll speak in about, he's got seven different languages. So whenever he, he fronts up to the television, what you see is, it will generally be things that are articulate, intelligent, calm. He, he's not a particularly volatile person. But what is absolutely the case is that he burns with all the typical Croatian, I am the best, we are the best, I'm going to win this, we're going to dominate, thing that makes Croatian sportsmen and women, I think, pretty special. He, he The first interview I ever took with him was in his first couple of months at Football Club Barcelona. He said, I, I loved Sevilla, I found my wife there, fell in love. Um, I lifted the Europa League as final. And he said, as I was putting that trophy down, I forget where the final was, but I think they, Sevilla beat Benfica after a, a nil-nil draw and won it on penalties. He said, after I put that trophy down, literally as I was putting it down, he went, I need to win the Champions League next season. I need to lift the Big Brother trophy. And that's why he went to Football Club Barcelona. 
and his goal has been to, to, to win the elite trophies over and over again for Football Club Barcelona. And, and I think he's been genuinely extraordinary. He's also found out that he suffers from celiacs uh, recently. He's changed his diet enormously and therefore he lost, although you, you couldn't see how he could. He lost two or three kilos and says that he's lighter on his feet, that he's quicker and he's got more stamina as a result. And the slump may be around the corner, but the slump that um, although he, you know, he played one game fewer less than than Modric did in the World Cup, and therefore, frankly, you know, having suffered the same disappointment and pretty much the same physical outlay, although he's two years younger, he could feasibly have suffered the same sort of downturn as Modric did at the beginning of the season for Real Madrid, but but hasn't. And therefore, I think he's an extraordinary footballer, and I think that the reason that he has enjoyed the classical experience so far is that he's extraordinarily good and brutally determined to win. Let's look then at one of his teammates. It's another question from our sponsors at Bet365. And Steve Freeth wants to know about Luis Suarez. He says, Luis Suarez bagged a hat-trick in the league game at the Camp Nou, but why can't he score away from home in the Champions League? How long has it been now, Graham? Um, okay, I haven't, we haven't rehearsed this, so, but I think it's going to be right. Off the top of my head, it's September 2015, I'm pretty sure. And it's in the Olympic Stadium in Rome. And if listen, if any socio, or indeed Steve, wants to look this up and tell me I'm wrong, then I'll take it on the chin. But I believe that Luis Suarez hasn't scored an away champ. He hasn't scored in this Champions League yet um, at all. And I think it was the 1-1 draw in which uh, Nangalin um, did, whether deliberately or not, did poor old Rafinha's. Knee ligaments, where whoever the fullback was from that night scored from about 10,000 million metres over Ter Stegen's head, and Suarez got the equaliser. Yes, you're correct, sir. It's September the 16th, 2015. Against 2015. So that, that's truly extraordinary, given that in the interim, he has produced brilliant football on occasion in the Champions League, as recently, for example, as his performance without Leo Messi in the team against Inter at home was just jaw-droppingly good. In La Liga and La Copa, he has had long spells where he has once again looked like, I guess he's 32 now, or touching 32. He's, there have been long spells where he's looked like the best number nine in the world, Cavani included. Now, I'm not putting... Um, either Ronaldo was a nine or Mbappe as a nine. But, you know, Luis Suarez at his best is worth 16 Lewandowski's. And albeit that, I see the merits of Harry Kane. Harry Kane has at no stage in his career yet touched even Luis Suarez's sort of B-plus form. He's, he's extraordinary. And therefore, to not be able to score away from home in the Champions League over such a long time, I don't have an explanation for. Recently, but particularly this season, um, I think it's becoming clearer and clearer that the meniscus problem he has in his knee, which he refused to get operated on uh, last season in late autumn, so that he could guarantee, in his mind, to be fit for Uruguay in the autumn and winter internationals to qualify them for the World Cup, which was still in doubt then, was of paramount importance to him. And the club... I thought, strangely at the time, because clubs should think of themselves, agreed with him, said to him, fine, we'll let you rest in the November internationals 
if Uruguay have already qualified, it not let you. We'll, the, the quid pro quo was that if we let you play in the autumn internationals and Uruguay qualify, you don't go and play friendly, friendlies with Uruguay in November. He went deal. It was enough of a rest. And the, the remainder of the season from Luis Suarez was pretty extraordinary. They got their payback. I think he went on to score after November about 22 times. So they won that bet. But he then played a, 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 the World Cup finals and, and got to at least the last 16. Looked isolated and slow when Cavani was out against France. And then has come back with more pain in his meniscus, more difficulty in being able to play to his level, more difficulty in being able to train at the, with the intensity that he needs. And therefore, in my humble opinion, one, he's a bit sore. Two, a bit tired. Three, I think not as svelte as he needs to be. I think there are a handful of extra pounds caused not by indiscipline, but by the fact that he just can't train flat out, given that his knee is sore. And I think at the elite level, he, you'll notice in the last few weeks, although the goals have draw, dried up, he has never stopped getting into the right positions and has often missed a goal by millimetres. But that doesn't count. That's like, you know, do not collect 200, do not pass goal, go straight to jail. And that is a problem that I think will need extraordinarily careful and intelligent management if Luis Suarez is to remain a force for Football Club Barcelona between now and the summer, at which point I fully expect them to sign another starting number nine. And they tried to do it last summer with the signing of Anton Griezmann. Don't forget that. Uh, you talked in part one about the the kind of uh, umbilical cord that exists between Messi and Suarez. How much can something like that affect the decision-making process from the club's point of view, you know, that they're viewing everything through the messy prism, like Scotty Pippen and Michael Jordan. I think you're right. It's a nice comparison because while Leo Messi doesn't own the club and dictate everything the club does, he's so important to them in terms of his animal, his, his, his state of mind, as well as his assists and his goals and his ability to open teams up and make space for teammates. The idea is that him and... Suarez are, are Butch and Sundance in a way that even though if there's a better socio partner, a, a better servant anywhere in the world to Leo Messi than Suarez, it, it's Jordi Alba. And it's, you know, it's of extraordinary privilege to Ernesto Valverde that he's been able to inherit a team that's got, you know, as Danny Alba's moved out, it, it, it's got the best strike partner Messi has ever had at club or international level by a long distance, irrespective of the quality of players and the success he's had previously, you know, even including Eto and Ronaldinho, let's let's draw a line there, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Suddenly you've got a, an outright competitor for the person who can service him, understand him, enjoy playing with him better than Suarez in Alba, except Alba and Messi don't, they're, they're perfectly good friends, but just as you hinted there, with your cute little basketball analogy. Suarez and, and, and Messi would probably wear the same shoes and the same outfits if they could. They're tight as hell. They live next to each other. Their, their wives and their kids play together. It's just a happy little camp. And therefore, I guess that at the elite level, everybody listening to this might be screaming out, drop, the, the coach is in charge. Do you do what's best for the team? Just drop him. Well, in the real world, it doesn't work exactly like that. It is still the right way to make the decision. It's just filled with nuance and filled with difficulty about man management and atmosphere management. And therefore, 
the, the, the idea to drop Suarez and allow him to have two weeks off isn't simply predicated by, well, will we lose matches and will it be, will I as the manager be hung drawn quartered in the media because I've, I've, I've rested Suarez for the benefit of the remainder of the campaign? It, it is about, well, you don't actually have to go to Messi to get approval, but you need to be sure that you're doing it in a way that he fully approves and understands. It's, it's as simple as that. But we are at a stage, in my opinion, and not just looking at these two classicals, just for the benefit of Suarez as an athlete and a player, we are now at a stage where he has to rest, diminish the pain, and tuck in several days of intense training that will just gift him back the sharpness that once he's got it, still makes him one of the three, four elite number nines in the world. Finally, we have a question that's been recorded by one of our socios. Every month, I ask you guys to take the plunge, put yourself on tape so you can be a part of the show. So thank you to Taylor from China for going for it this month. Here he is. Hi, Graham and the team. It's uh, Taylor here in China. Um, So what I would like to know is who do you think has the best long-term plan in place um, to ensure success over the next, you know, say five to ten years? if uh, football's capable of thinking that long-term nowadays. Um, yeah, I'd be really interested to hear your insights on that. Um, I think it's quite interesting looking at both clubs at the moment. Um, so I'd love to hear what you think. Thanks, guys. Keep up the hard work. Taylor, it's, it's, it's great to have you back on um, the big interview. Social Q&A. Thank you very much indeed. And blooming heck, we'd need a separate podcast for that. It's a beautiful question because there have been many, many times when you'd automatically say football club Barcelona and I I, boy you you hear not the sound of me flanneling but thinking and and dead air time on a podcast isn't terrifically popular um, or endorsed by my editors or my sponsors and therefore maybe I'm not going to surprise you Taylor in that it's hard to argue Madrid outright given that they they've Florentino Perez has slightly calibrated, done a tiny fine-tuning to the same old philosophy that won Santiago Bernabeu and I think his vice president was called Sapporo, their um, five straight European Cups and their domination of Europe and, and Spain for much of the late 50s and 60s, early 60s and middle 60s, in that they initiated the whole idea of the Galacticos. I have a fabulous book at home that one of our socios gifted me, uh, where albeit written in English, rumoured of that day, of the Santiago Bernabeu day, I think the book's published in 63 or 64 or something like that, explains, happily explains his whole philosophy and it's something that Florentino Perez grew up um, influenced by, adopted and, you know, in a boom and bust way has affected the success or otherwise of Real Madrid. And the Galactico idea means that when the boom is on, it's very, very good. And when the bust is on, it can leave him embarrassed having five coaches in 24 months and it can leave him stepping down as he did in 2007 or was it? And therefore, to talk about Real Madrid having uh, in football terms, which I think you mean, you don't mean uh, business or stadium or training ground. I think you mean football development. Real Madrid don't have a 10-year plan. They don't have a three-year plan. But the nuance that makes me more encouraged, more enthusiastic about them is that 
Florentino Perez A has said for a couple of markets now, it is imperative that with the petrodollar clubs around, we don't simply compete for the world-class um, footballers every year, but that we bring through more of our own. And by that, he doesn't mean, you know, born within a stone's throw of the centre of Madrid or even Spaniards. He means the best foreigners, as well as the best Spaniards, that they can bring a, bring in aged 14, 15, 16, 17, depending on FIFA rules and depending on whether the kids that are younger than 16 and 18 can be moved legally. But that that red tape aside, he does genuinely... And he, and he specifically went on about this in the... I think it was the Vinicius signing ceremony where he talked about it's imperative that the cream of youth talent is picked off by Real Madrid. Now, that isn't a 10-year look forward. But just let's take Vinicius. You know, they, they were brutally disappointed that, that Neymar, who trained with them, and they thought who Santos were committed to selling to Real Madrid, that Neymar went to Barcelona. There was a big furore about what happened, but setting aside the Neymar case itself, one of the things that Florentino Perez did brilliantly well was refund and, and re... Oh, God. Increase the level of demand on his people in Brazil and say, bring me the next two Neymars at any cost. And Vinicius right now, who is utterly, utterly unbelievable at 18, not talent, not pace, not power, those things he's extraordinary at, but his his head, the fact that he's got judgment and vision and, and patience and, and team spirit of a 28-year-old in terms of his pressing, his robbing of the ball and his consistent shrugging off of what not only wingers but Brazilians or South Americans and 18-year-olds do, which is like head down, do my own thing. He consistently has a vision, a peripheral vision and a look up on the ball and he can dribble at huge speed while taking a look and he does it. He, he, it's just... There must have been some sort of DNA transplant onto this 18-year-old to make him play like a 28-year-old. But I haven't been as excited about a footballer since Leo Messi broke through. Simple as that. Even And it takes a lot to say that, given how much I adore Mbappe. But th- there's the truth. And therefore, maybe they get 10 years out of him. Maybe they can convince him to stay for as long as Sergio Ramos has stayed, for example, for as long as Marcelo has stayed. Who knows? But beyond simply Florentino Perez making, you know, mouth music about youth, we suddenly see a coach who's promoted Regulon, who trusted Llorente, which neither Lopetegui nor Zidane did. And, look, Llorente's not a kid, I guess he's 22, 23. But we're beginning to see an enactment of that blend, which I think is, I think is really sexy. That, that buying the very best, maintaining a middle class of footballers like Ceballos, like um, Lucas Vasquez, and increasingly Asensio, <laughs> but augmenting that with extraordinary young footballers. And I haven't seen enough of Rodrigo, who's already purchased, who wants to join Madrid straight away. Uh, another Brazilian in the in the in the Vinicius mode. Therefore, maybe uh, Taylor, maybe the. Um, next six, seven, eight, nine, ten years are assured as a result of that. In terms of football club Barcelona, you know, I have similar um, in making a comparison. And if you really want me to, to to shout one name out or other, then you're going to have to send me some sort of threatening note because I'm not sure. Um, but at, at football club Barcelona, I I think 
the negatives, in my opinion, would be Pepsigura, who is involved in the technical direction and the development of the first team, is a guy who believes in things that I, I think undermine the Cruyff Guardiola concept of football development and how football should be played and what type of footballer should be brought to the camp now. And Pepsigura has his own ideas and they work quite well in the in the shape of Paulinho. They they've worked quite well in the shape of Vidal. Um, let's wait and see about Boateng. But Pepsigura is devoted to you know big, strong, fast, powerful. The type of thing that saw Sandro Rosé ousted from the camp now because he wanted to bring in Blumen Scolari in 2003 and sat Rijkaard in the spot. And the whole thing that I've made most of you attracted to Spanish football and Barcelona on this podcast, i.e. the Rijkaard-Guardiola years, wouldn't have happened if it had been for Rosé, a man who's got the same principles as Pep Segura. And therefore, to say that Football Club Barcelona have got um, an assured... 10-year plan because recently they've signed De Jong and Emerson at full-back and Toribo at centre-half, young footballers of, of reputation and footballers of a certain playing style. Does that say to you that Football Club Barcelona have got a better, more developed, more clear-cut philosophy of football over the next six, eight, ten years than Roman did. No, I don't think that's I don't think that's justified to argue. I think that at the moment the both the president and Pep Segura are involved in ideas which I don't think are true to where Barcelona should be going. And the little ray of hope for those of us who've enjoyed the brand of football that Cruyff believed in and that Guardiola and Rijkaard excelled in coaching. I think that what will happen is the candidate Victor Font will win the elections in 2021. I think that the coach will be Xavi um, and that one of the technical directors will be Carlos Puyol. And I think that they will institute a regime, whatever squad they inherit, that puts higher values on possession, technique, touch, intelligence and skill and ability over height and power. And therefore... Maybe those next 10 years after that, maybe the project fails, <laughs> but maybe the next 10 years after that will be a better answer, will make me more un- able to answer you then, Taylor. But I think the two clubs, for pretty different reasons, can't argue coherently that they've got a six, eight, ten year plan at the moment. But if Font wins the presidency and Chabi is the coach, which I expect him to be, and if he doesn't um, either fail or the squad doesn't fail him, that's a point at which you can begin to talk about long-term planning and identifiable philosophies. Right now, I think the slight edge is with Real Madrid, to be honest with you. I think that they have, for whatever reason, they haven't come up with the youth ideal with any sort of Cruyff objective. It's because Florentino Perez believes that economically the only way to compete with the petrodollar clubs is to have the good players before they can be bought out from underneath them when they're 25, 26, 27. That's my opinion. And it's a perfectly respectable idea, and I find them interesting and enjoyable, probably more so over the last few seasons than I have for quite some considerable time. And I hugely enjoy seeing Regulon and Llorente and Ceballos, and particularly Vinicius, coming through with 
it being evident, to my eyes at least, that if Vallejo can stay fit, he's potentially another name on that list. There are others. Asensio is still blooming, I think, 23. Um, Rodrigo is potentially one more. And and they, they are consistently sending others like Brahim as well. So right now, I think that the more interesting, exciting and coherent philosophy of the next two, three years possibly belongs to Real Madrid because they're further ahead than the Barcelona one that has put faith in Emerson and Ragve and Alenia coming through, thank goodness, and hopefully Ricky Pooch coming through, thank goodness, who looks a diamond of a footballer, and De Jong maybe succeeding and maybe De Ligt joining him and maybe Todibo's as good as they say they are, etc., etc. But if I had to be honest, I would say that right now, I think that Real Madrid, in terms of a consistent idea about how to replenish and refresh the footballing idea at um, Real Madrid are a little bit ahead. Okay, Taylor, thank you very much. All of the socios who sent in these great questions for this podcast and the last one, thank you so much for being part of it, for listening and for allowing Graham and I to do fun stuff like this. That's our show. Thank you and adios. Thank you for joining us for season 2018-19. We've got huge creative plans for the months ahead, but we do need your help to make them happen. Please go right now to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter and become a social, become a paying member and get an extra big interview every month plus loads of bonus content. Last season, socios listened to nine exclusive big interviews including Rafa van der Vaart, Troy Deeney, Roberto Di Matteo and loads of me talking about football. The Premier League, the Champions League, Spanish football... I'm sure they enjoyed it and you will too. Support us, join us. Thank you.